What's in store for your business this week at Staples? Cases and cases of confidence. Staples can help give you the confidence that your business is ready for the year ahead with all the supplies you need. Like paper. And right now, when you buy a 10-ream case of Staples multipurpose paper, you get one free. So you can be confident you're ready for whatever business comes your way. Buy one case of Staples multipurpose paper, get one free. Now at Staples, where there's a whole lot in store. In-store only, limit 10. Valid through 1519. For tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, one of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. It's Wednesday, June 15th, 2016. Sorry, we're getting started a little late. Um, but I want to get the show started with my track. This is my favorite track of the week. Um, it is Adele, Send My Love. We'll be right back. Just a guitar, thank you.
in the studio with Miss Brenda Henderson. She is our guest co-host. How are you doing, Brenda? <laughs> Hi, Will. I'm fine. You're doing good? You're doing doing good. good. A little hot today, but I'm fine. Are you hot? Yeah. Why are you hot, boo? Well, you know, the humidity and a few other female things. Oh. You put them together and you can come up with H-O-T hot. Okay. I got you. I got you. Um, so, Miss Brenda Henderson, the health boss, just tell everybody how fabulous you are. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Brenda Henderson, and the name of my company is Health Boss, and I am truly a health boss. I am the greatest health advocate that anyone will find. Um, I, I'm, I'm really a pest. I, I'm on people all the time about taking control of their health and being healthy and those types of things. And I've partnered kind of with two different um, companies to offer something to people that I think that they really need. There are a lot of companies out there that have a lot of products and things, but uh, two things that people are looking for is weight loss. And sh uh, most of us are addicted to sugar. So I have a product called Sugar Stop that I'm really promoting to help people get off the sugar and get off this addiction so that they can lose weight. Uh, sugar big. It is big. It is very, very big. Uh, actually, uh, sugar has is more addictive than cocaine, but we'll have to talk about that really? at another show. <laughs> yes. And currently I have partnered with um, Belinda Johnson. She is Coach B Fit. She was recently on Dr. Oz. She's a world-renowned health expert, and uh, she's writing a book, and she has decided to collaborate with 20 other women, and I am one of the 20 women oh, that she okay. has selected to uh, do that. The book will be out this fall, uh -huh. so I'm going to be in a little hiatus. In so the you're going to write a chapter I'm going to write a chapter, oh, yes. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I kind of be underground a little bit because we are on a deadline, uh -huh. so that's coming out this fall, so I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. How did you get into all of health? How, how, how did you, what piqued your interest? Did you go through something that? Uh, uh, in a nutshell, uh -huh. I was 27 years old. Okay. My biological mother died at the age of 40. And for a long time, I had these, like, reoccurring nightmares that really? I was going to die young. I wasn't going to be able to see my children grow up because I had just had my first son right. when she died. Uh -huh. And uh, I became a little bit obsessed about being healthy. Uh -huh. I put my hands on everything that I could get my hands on to read about being healthy. Right. I, I was just a little nerd about researching everything to be healthy. Mm -hmm. So that led me to several uh, direct sales companies. I know a lot of people don't like those types of companies, mm -hmm. but the education that you can get from those companies right. is is more than you could get in a college sometimes. Right. And after being involved with so many of them, uh, I, I got much expertise on, on the health field. So um, I went to a conference, and someone told me, they say, you need to – break away from the direct company a little bit and do your own thing. Start doing some coaching and stuff. So uh -huh. I was there like on a Friday or Monday. I was at the office. I got my little license held <laughs> boss. So really? the rest is history. That's good. Well, that's good. So And you write as well, right? Because I, I know we, we've written for a couple of magazines. magazines. Yeah, for several magazines. Also have a blog talk radio program right. called Health Talk with the Health Boss. And what day does that come on? comes on on Friday mornings, right. 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. All right. And you talk about all things healthy. We talk about all things healthy. Nothing is restricted. Uh -huh. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm glad to have you here sitting at the chat for me um, as my guest co-host today. We've had thank a few... you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. We have the same publicist, Ms. Nikki Curry, so I want to thank her. Yes, for hooking up. She's not feeling too well today. Yes, yeah, she just sent me a text. Or else she would be here um, harassing me and videotaping and things <laughs> like that. Harassing now. you, yeah, harassing both me. Both of us. Uh, we love her, though. We yes, love her. we do. Yes. So you heard about everything in Orlando. Yeah, right? it's, it's really, really sad. Um, you know, our government has so many loopholes, and um, I'm sorry that today is the day that you have me on your show because, you know, that is one of my pet peeves, the government. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and and there's so many loopholes in this thing, and, and I'm such a conspiracy, conspiracy yeah. theorist. Uh-huh. And, you know... Uh, this guy was on the watch list, right. and then he was off the watch list. He had been there apparently casing the place right. uh, weeks and right. weeks ago because people recognized right. him after realizing that he was the shooter. Mm-hmm. And the timing of this whole thing, it, it kind of leaves a thought in so my what, head. So what's the thought? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. What's the thought? It's what an it, election year. You know, ah. it's an election year. Uh-huh. Money can buy anything. People don't realize that, but money can buy anything. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, you have one side uh, that's saying they're going to shut down the borders and mm-hmm. they're going to kick all the Muslims oh, out. Wow. And you've got the other side um, not so mean about it, yeah. but trying mm-hmm. to put some laws in place. Mm-hmm. that could uh, make us safer. Mm-hmm. But nobody talks about the fact that the sales are already here. Yeah, And, yeah, the FBI know they're here, but are they really doing their duty? Are they really doing their just? And that burning thing in the back of my head, uh-huh. what what is somebody going to manipulate mm-hmm. so that the president don't leave on a high note? You, oh, know? Yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, you know... Trump has already said that he feels like um, President Obama had something to do with it. Oh, yeah. He, he, say, he says he thinks he's a terrorist. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I can't say what I I don't understand how I people think. can make, well, I guess freedom of speech. Freedom I just don't speech. understand where the respect for that office went. And I, to me, it hasn't been any more blatant than up under President Obama's term, how yeah. just blatantly disrespected yeah. he has been. He is not the only president who has made some mistakes. Right. George W. Bush made mistakes. Oh, yeah. His father made mistakes right. with the Iran Contra deal and mm-hmm. all of that kind of thing. But uh, this guy, he didn't get a break. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing is ever good enough. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and he's done some great things. I know for me in particular, he's done some great things. Oh yeah, he's done a lot of great things. He will have a great legacy. But uh, you know. Uh, with Trump and his campaign, and, and honestly, I wish that we could vote tomorrow so this whole thing would be over because exactly. I am really tired of it. But uh, that minority what? of people. Three more months? Four more months? Yeah, the minority of people that he has attracted with hate. Uh-huh. And that's exactly uh, and, what his whole campaign to me is run by. Yeah, and, and I think that had something to do with the perpetuation of this guy mm-hmm. going into that club, yeah. doing what he did. Yeah. And then um, they were saying that um, some some were saying that he may be gay. Yeah. That he um, frequented the club for I think I don't think they found anybody who had been sexually actually at them, um, but they did locate him on a couple of the apps. Um, I think his wife said that she wouldn't be surprised um, if he were gay. She didn't have any evidence. Yeah. But bringing up the wife, I think her name is Nor Salman. She basically went to the two locations because he was scouting also 
um, a Disney, Disney shopping World. complex yeah. and things like that um, because there were another site that was hosting Gay Days in 2016, um, and she knew about this. So they're thinking about possibly charging her with criminal charges. Yeah. What do you think about that? You think she should? Uh, I think, I think that, uh, on one hand, I think that she should have come forth. Mm-hmm. But then I think the the former wife talked about how abusive yeah, he was. So right. maybe she was afraid yeah. to come forth. So it's a, it's a catch-22 yeah. situation, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think that after he left home or she dropped him off, there was some kind of conflicting stories about those two things. Right. That maybe she should have called the authorities and said, I dropped him off mm-hmm. here. And I think that he's possibly will do something was, yeah. and if he did nothing they would never know that she called exactly so, but um when women live in fear you don't know what's going through their heads right and i know one i don't know if it was the first wife did he beat the second he, wife or just the first the, wife the first wife the second wife has not come forth to say whether or not he's beat okay. her or not because i but, know but if you beat the first one you beat the second exactly. one because she said that one time she was on the phone with her mom and he hit her so hard that it broke the phone yeah now, that's violent. Jeez. That is violent. And, you know, some people are saying that he was involved with ISIS. Mm-hmm. But uh, from the information that they've put out so far, uh, he hasn't had any contact with any of those groups. You know, a lot of people want to be. Right. It's like uh, people saying, oh, I'm with the Crips. I'm right. with the exactly. Disney, I'm with the exactly. Bloods. They don't even know who they are. Mm-hmm. So, you so, know, yeah. we just don't know where his head was other than the fact that he had a lot of hatred to go in there and do that to a bunch of people that was just, just trying to blow up and enjoy their weekend. Mm. Horrible. And then also um, in Orlando, Orlando's had a really rough week. Yeah. Um, the little two-year-old boy. Yeah. Wow, with the um, alligator. For those of you who don't know, Orlando authorities, um, there was a two-year-old boy who had an alligator attack on one of um, Disney's luxury resorts. Um, This happened, like, I think Tuesday night around 930. Yeah. Um, He was basically playing on the edge of a shoreline of a lagoon. I think it was was like maybe one feet water. Mm -hmm. And the alligator came up and snatched the little boy. Um, and then the father tried to wrestle with the, the little, the, with, I guess with the alligator and yeah. the boy to get him. He got, you know, bruised and everything. Somebody said that the mother had, um, went into the water to try to splash, I guess, to divert the attention mm-hmm. to her. And it was unsuccessful. But today they did announce that they located the boy, the little boy's body, um, and that it was intact. That's oh, a, a well, terrible. That's a good thing that it's intact. Yeah, that was intact. Because I feared when they said it they was going to be could, like I thought it was going to be dismembered and yeah. all of that, and mm-hmm. th- that would have been a horrible way for a two-year-old to go. But it was kind of a uh, uh, scary to me because I've been to Disney several times, mm-hmm. and you know you go there for fun and, and a, a good time with your family, and I just could not fathom. Uh, that happening that right. fast. I mean, it just happened and, and like that. I've seen it happen, and it happens fast. Like on those TV, those extreme movie things. Yeah. I've seen how fast they attack. But don't you think they need to take take those types of animals away from the properties? They do. They do. And um, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in North Carolina who says now where he lives, there's this this big surgeons of alligators showing up. Wow, leaving Florida, I guess. I'm think he thinks that they're bringing them down this way. They might they're, be trying they're, because they're overpopulated. Right, exactly. Down that's there. what he said. That's what he said. Yeah. And they're showing up in people's backyards. I was oh, like, oh God. Lord! And he's like, that's the dismal swamp area, which is which goes through Go through, through us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's all I need to see, baby. Oh, that or he, a snake. He probably would get me because yeah. I would faint right away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My thing is snakes. If I see a snake, it's just it. Yeah. It's just it. 
But okay, you know Chloe Kardashian, right? The Kardashian sisters. Yeah. Okay, Chloe. So she she was saying in an interview with, um, this was with Glamour magazine, that you know she's always been the in, the center of attention, mainly because of her last name Kardashian. But she's also been talked about for her personal reasons, including um, her relationship with Lamar Odom, and then her highly publicized weight loss, which she's lost like 40, 40 pounds, I believe, yeah. in the past year. And she was pretty much like the black sheep of the family because she was like the heavier one, um, still very beautiful, but because of her weight. Um, what she made a comment, she said, I like, I like to say that I don't care what people say about me, but that's not true. She said, not wanting to go to certain places because I wonder what will be written about me the next day. I hate that I carried that with me. So I want to ask you, how concerned are you with, you know, whether people like you or not or whether they talk about you behind your back or hurt, make hurtful statements? Uh, I used to care a lot about it. You did? I, I really did. But as you mature mm -hmm. uh, and get comfortable with yourself, mm -hmm. You don't worry about it anymore. You don't worry you know, about it. Yeah, you, you are who you are. Uh -huh. You either take me or leave me. Uh -huh. But uh, it, it's a part of growing, and you have to get to that place. And even after you grow up, mm -hmm. so to speak, some people never get to that place mm -hmm. because uh, a lot of the experiences play in that part. Exactly. About uh, if you're strong enough to do that or not. Mm -hmm. And with the Kardashians, I mean, their names is in light 24-7. 24-7. They can't Seven escape. Seven days a week. I mean, they can't escape anything. Right. So I'm sure it's pretty, pretty hard. So you, you have to develop tough skin. You have to. When you, yeah. When you in the spotlight, you have to develop tough skin. Mm -hmm. But even when you develop that tough skin, nothing is ever enough. Mm -hmm. The media wants more. Mm -hmm. uh, people want more. I mean, live your life mm -hmm. and let them live. Because if you live yours, you ain't got time to worry about it. Exactly. But uh, I don't know what happened. We live in a society where everybody is consumed mm -hmm. with not only the Kardashians, but all these famous people. Yeah. Everybody tries to look like them, live like them, act like them, mm -hmm. be like them. Nobody's trying to be like them. Right. You know, one time everybody was trying to be like Mike. Uh -huh. <laughs> right, you're right. And we also live in a society where everybody, um, because of the competition, everybody's doing this because we have social media and sometimes you could appear bigger than what you really are. Yeah. We have this crab mentality mm -hmm. where people are just back. I, myself, I've, I've talked on the show about it. I've talked to Nikki about it when she comes to get her hair done. And I struggle with whether people like me or not. I struggle with whether they say things behind my back. Because, you know, it's come to my attention that, you know, people have said in this area, people, my colleagues have said they don't understand, you know, what's the big hype around Will Strayhorn. And that people who it came from, who I know it came from because it came from reliable sources, that hurt. Yeah. I'm, I'm human. It hurt. Because um, if you don't want to be bothered with me, just stay away from yeah, me. Yeah, just stay away from and, me. And I'll stay away from you. Exactly. You and know? I don't have a problem with that And I don't have a problem. Yeah, but show me who you are really. I don't yeah. like that, that yeah. two-faced it. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. But, you know, we uh, uh, live in a society where it's too much news. Yeah. You know, when I grew up, and I'm a little older than you, when Walter Cronkite Cronkite, that was it. That was it. That was like <laughs> until everything tomorrow. was off, right? But now we get the news twenty four seven. Everybody's talking about transparency right. and all this stuff. It's just too much. It's right. just too much because I, you know, I was talking with this lady in the grocery store recently, and we were talking about politics and things with the ISIS and all this stuff. And she and I both said at the same time. Whatever the man does, we don't need to know anything about it. Exactly. Not every what move happened to they those made. Days. Right. 
because it's nothing I can do from my house right, to and help them. And if we know about it, don't you think everybody else is hearing what they're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, but the thing is, what can you do about it from your house? Yeah. You yeah. you don't have any power. You don't have right. nothing. So why do you need to know? Yeah, and that's why the, the sales of depression depression medication are up. People are just they're, they're just inundated with so much media, so much so news coming in from everywhere. So much of everything. Cell phone, Facebook, yeah, the yeah. news, radio, and it's everywhere. And even outlets that are supposed to be entertaining, right. Have so much of the other stuff, right. the, the newsy stuff right. to it. So you you just don't catch a break, right? Well, you know we have a great show tonight. I want to talk about. I'm going to introduce my guests because they're going to do something different tonight. They're going to actually call um, call into us instead of you know how we normally do the show. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm not sure when they're going to call in. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce them first. Okay. Um, our first guest is Mr. Troy Anderson. He says, "What if God?" embedded a code in the Bible that could only be cracked in the end times. On the night, we have an exclusive interview with one of the authors of The Babylon Code to discuss the staggering information they've uncovered. He's a Pulitzer Prize-nominated investigative journalist, Troy Anderson, along with the prophecy expert, Paul McGuire, who invested years of research, including over 100 interviews, and reviewing tens of thousands of documents to expose alarming information that could be the biggest scandal in modern history. You will hear how secret forces, which I believe, are at work to create a global government, economic system, and religion indicating that the signs of the end times are converging together now like never before. I wholeheartedly believe that. And then we have, do you wish to find your soulmate? Me, I do. What's stopping you from experiencing real love? Judith Coster, our second guest, is a certified unconditional love coach with a master's degree in psychology and psychotherapy. She's based on her 15 years of research and experience on soulmates. She helps people um, to understand what a real soulmate connection is, how to improve self-love, and how to manifest the kind of relationship that all of us want and deserve. So starting at 730, um, we're going to hear from Mr. Troy Anderson. But right now, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And we'll come back with some more talking before they call in. All All right. right. You're listening to Let's Face It. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. Follow WODU Studios on Twitter at WODU Studios to find out how you can enter to win tickets to St. Lucia at the Norva live on June 17th at 7.20 p.m. Again, follow WODU Studios on Twitter or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash WODU Studios official to see how you can enter. Hey guys, follow WODU Studios on Twitter at WODU Studios to find out how you can enter to win tickets to Bad Fish, a tribute to Sublime at the Norba, live on June 24th at 8pm. Again, follow at WODU Studios on Twitter or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash WODU Studios official to see how you can enter. There's always a moment of truth where I say, look, it's either put up or shut up. And it was time to put up. I had crossed that thin line. It was 100 plus degrees. We were hot. We were on fire. We were yelling our hearts out. You could feel the intensity rising. Even in our tiredness, even in our weakness, even in our pain, we continued to push. I told myself, you can suck up the pain for another mile and a half, and you will be a Marine. 
Not many people believe that I could do it. I don't know where I got the energy from. I don't know where the pain went to. But all I know is that I had what it took. I am a United States Marine. PFC Daryl Willis serves his country as a Marine. Will you? Visit Marines.com or call 1-800-MARINES. The few, the proud, the Marines. Did you know one in three adults is at risk for kidney disease? If you have high blood pressure or diabetes, you could be the one. I was looking in the newspaper and saw an article that said if you have symptoms for kidney disease, you should see your doctor. And I really didn't expect anything because I felt healthy. I didn't worry about my borderline high blood pressure. Turns out it was silently inflicting kidney disease. When you know, it's almost too late. Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. There's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving change. Learn more at stjude.org. Welcome back to Let's Face It. Our, our guest is actually calling into the studio. Hi, welcome to Let's Face It. How are you? Hello? Okay, I think we lost our caller. So we'll wait for our caller to call back in. That was Mr. Troy Alexander who's calling in. Troy Anderson, I'm sorry about the Babylon Code. Um, but what else has been going on with you, Miss Brenda? Um, what are some other issues? What are some of the issues that our community are? I, I'm my like you said, my issue is sugar. I've been told a couple times by the doctor that I'm borderline di- diabetic. My father, my everybody on my father's side is diabetic. Um, but for some reason, me and sugar just have a problem. Well, right. I'm addicted. I'm, I You're mean, addicted I, to I'm, it? I'm, a, I'm the health boss, but I am addicted. And uh, every so often, I have to go on that binge, and it breaks whatever cycle that I'm on. Mm-hmm. And I recently did an article that substantiated how uh, sugar is more addictive than the cocaine and other drugs that are uh, illegal drugs that are on the market. Mm-hmm. And when I did all of that research... I could see what the authors were saying uh, about sugar because uh, most people who indulge in any type of dessert want it constantly. Right. People that don't uh, uh, have desserts usually are people who have never had sugar or wanted sugar or parents didn't allow them to have sugar. But once you get that taste in your mouth, Man, I'm telling you, it is something else. There was an article uh, last week in regards to Oreo cookies. And they said that the companies not only add the sugar, but some of the additives that they also put into the ingredients that's combined with the sugar is what makes us sit and eat one whole box of Oreos at a time. And we know that the serving size is only about four or five. But I tell you, man, 
that is one heck of an addiction to have, and it is really hard to break. I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, do you just eat the serving sizes? No. I don't even know what the serving size is. <laughs> what is the serving size? Because I, I, now I do pick up the bottles and look at, like, the sugar grams and the sodium. Like, I understand what the serving size is, but I really don't know what the serving None size is. None of us is. do because it'll say on a box of cookies, three or four cookies. But after you start chunking and chunking and chunking, you've eaten about half of the box, and then you say, oh, God, I've eaten too many. Right, right. So, so I know it, it's not just my problem or your problem. Everywhere you go, people face the same problem. So I know that the research has got to be on to something. Right. I know, and I remember um, First Lady Michelle Obama had said that one of her things that she wanted to do was she wanted to make it more clear, clear um, on the back of the labels mm-hmm. um, exactly. What types of what, sugars we're taking, intaking. Right, and the serving sizes. Yeah. And that's one thing about this country. Uh, we have that FDA, but I tell you, I would really love for somebody to sit me down and tell me what it is they do because when I sum up what they do, it equals out to be a big fat zero. (laughs) What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, you know, um, we're the only country that we don't have any clarity on the foods that we eat. Right. We don't really know what it is that we're eating. We're the only country that has so many recalls on food. I mean, can they not get it right the first time? What is what is all that about? But we're the mo- we're the we're the power country. I don't understand. What it-, it comes from greed. That's the bottom line. Everybody wants their stockholders to come up with a fat check at the end of the month, and everything is motivated by greed. Companies take shortcuts so that they can get their product out there first. Right. So that they can be the bigger, the better, the best. Mm -hmm. And nobody thinks about the consumer. Nobody. It's motivated by money, like you said. It's motivated by money. Nobody. It's pretty much everything. It's pretty much motivated by money. Yeah, that's capitalism at its best. Yes. Wow, we're still still waiting on Mr. Troy Anderson to call back. But um, there were some other things that went on in the news well, we were already talking about how everybody's frustrated with Mr. Donald Trump. Seth Myers, who's the host of The Late Show, he has banned Donald Trump from his late-night talk show. Great. Good he for said, him. Seth Myers made a major announcement during the beginning of his show last night that Donald Trump is not welcome on the program. He said, Trump is stoking fear and spreading hate. Yeah. Myers said that when explaining the reasoning behind his decision before adding, we cannot allow it to become normalized, which is true. The late night show host also addressed the news that Trump had pulled the Washington Post press credentials after they after complaining of one of their headlines mentioning response to the mass shooting in Orlando. Yeah. So that's well, using money in his yeah, in his but, power. But but people don't stop and realize if I was a Republican, mm-hmm. I would really be pissed off. Yeah. Because he got free press. Yeah. None of the other candidates got the press that he got. Yeah. He got a billion dollars of free press. Every channel you turn on, every radio station, yeah. everybody's got him on. Yeah. And and I agree with the girls from the View this morning. Mm-hmm. They said all of all the outlets need to shut him down. Mm-hmm. I was I was in the gym today and I watched. Um, it was Fox News. The whole time I was there, he was talking about something. I could see the little captions. But I was like, I thought he was being interviewed, but it looked like they gave him a full, a full hour run. of just talk. Yeah, just a talking. Full run. So, you know, the other candidates don't get that same, exactly. same opportunity. 
and when are people going to realize he's talking, but he's not saying not, anything? Not saying anything. Or, or like um, Seth Meyers said, he's spreading hate. He's spreading the hate. Yeah. He can use his First Amendment right, but when the papers that he's banned right. use their First Amendment right, their, he, he, pulls, he gets their, yeah, their he credentials. Yeah, he gets ticked off. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's something amiss there, mm-hmm. something very amiss. So you watched The View today. Was this today when Raven made the statement about um, how – how we're going through this, just like with every other tragedy, the nation seems to pull together. But what's going to happen in a couple of weeks when this is old news? Yeah. Um, and I don't really agree with much that Raven says. I love Raven, but sometimes, you know, she's kind of out there. But when I heard some, one of my Facebook friends that posted this, I was like, she's right on the money yeah. there. When she was just like, you know, everybody's banding together. We need to pull together. Just They were like that at 9-11 and all the other tragedies, yeah. with Sandy Hook and all that. And, and then we go right back yeah. to our separate corners. And I, and I say this, if we can go about our business mm-hmm. after all of those children right. got killed, the adults don't mean a thing yeah. to me, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, my heart bled for all those kids, six, seven years old. Yeah. Had their whole lives ahead of them. But that's what we do. We talk about it. Yeah. And have a visual. We gotta have a visual. We're gonna sing and take some flowers. Yeah. But we don't hold Congress accountable for anything. Mm-hmm. People, they work for you. You mm-hmm. don't work for them. Yes. And President Obama has been trying to, you know, establish good gun laws ever since then. They've been fighting him on They've it. been fighting him every step. Everybody of the has well. a right. And, Everybody you know. has a right. And you know, that's that that's my thing. Uh when people tell me, Oh, the the forefathers. Yeah, did. yeah. And I told them, I said, you know, I listened to all these historians about these forefathers, and I'm not going to knock that they didn't have some vision. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell me the forefathers had a vision that a gun was going to be made that could shoot 150, 200, 300 bullets at a time. They right. didn't have that vision. Right. The other thing, when the gun, when the Second Amendment was declared, Life was different. Life was simple. We really didn't even have any type of policing or justice department or or any of those things. We had no laws in place. So people had guns to protect their families and their cattle because that was their way of living. Mm -hmm. But the whole dynamics in this 21st century has changed, and I I honestly believe it needs to be revisited. Right, right. Um, Not to change subjects, but I was also – it was just a lot of headlines – surrounding the Orlando shootings and with the guns. And there was a, a pastor in Sacramento, California, who the Sunday after the event, during his sermon, he was just like, um, is anybody, should any of us be sad about what happened yesterday or whatever? And he was like, no. He said, because 50 pedophiles were murdered. And the only thing that we should be sad about is that it wasn't more. Oh, that's sad. And this is to, to people who aren't grounded in their own, who who they are individually, um, just think of because of his position and how many people look up to him. Um, how many people that's going to affect? How many more copycat killers are going to go out because out they feel that that's coming from God when mm-hmm. when it's coming when from a person who's filled with hate. hate. When I read that, I was like, oh my God, because I remember growing up and just hearing things, not knowing for myself, not knowing what's in the word for myself, and just because it came from the pastor, I took it as true. Until you found out until I found Until I found out differently. And it was just really, that was a sad situation when I read that. And I know since then a lot of pastors have stepped up and um, come against him. 
but you know he's 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 hiding behind you know his his freedom of speech. Oh yeah, they always hide that hide their hate behind that. Yeah, but eventually it's going to show itself. Eventually, it always comes. Eventually, up. it will definitely show itself. It always roosts its head. Yes. So, what are some other articles that you have coming up that you're writing about? Um, I just completed an article on gun violence. You know, gun violence has become a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. It is the leading cause of premature deaths of people over under the age of 30. Okay. 30,000 people die a year from gun violence, and that's not talking about the biggies like we're talking about uh-huh. with Orlando. We just this is about talking about like what? Gun like, violence. Sh- okay. All that stuff you see that comes across every your day. TV screen every, every day, day right. across this country. And 60,000 people are injured. And I know some people say, well, you're the health boss. What does that have to do with health? Mm-hmm. Not only is it a, a police problem, a moral problem, but it weighs on our health care system. Oh, yeah. One out of three people who are victims of a gunshot don't have insurance. So who p- picks up that tab? Right. And between 2000 and 2010, 275,939 persons were victims of gun gunfire. And that resulted in 1.7 million days in the hospital. Now, we've all been to the hospital for some little stuff, Mm -hmm. and we know what type of bill we get when we're there for two days. The aspirins are almost $100 a walk. So you can imagine how much these bills are from people who are admitted to the hospitals for being shot. Right. And we're not even talking about uh, what's spent in the emergency room. In the emergency room alone, $18.9 million is spent. Mm Mm-hmm. To, to, to treat people with gunshot wounds. Because even when you go, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, even when you like come into the hospital and you don't have insurance, they have to. They have th- to service you. So th- this is where a lot of the money is coming in that they're saying. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that uh, Medicaid and other public assistances pay for that. Eighty percent of all the gunshot victims, Medicaid and public assistance pays Pay for, for their that. hospitals. Because hospital has to be paid. Yeah. And that's us. Yeah. That's us, the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And I can't understand why we don't, we don't do something to make change mm-hmm. when we're spending so much money. I wonder why. Now, that would be a good conspiracy theory. What is it? Is it because it's, is, is money involved in it? I don't know. Um, many of these uh, organi- health organizations said they just don't understand it. And they are asking Congress to put together a task force uh-huh. to study gun victims and gun violence in this country. They said it is just an epidemic. Most doctors say when they work in the ER right. every night, they have a minimum of 10 people to come, come in, in with, with gunshot. gunshots. And, I mean, you know, we're still talking about that Second Amendment, but that's a lot of people... I wonder what's fueling it. Is it now? Is it? I wonder if it's a larger influx of this, or is it because of social media? We're hearing more about it. I think that since Columbine, uh-huh. I think that uh, we're hearing more about it. I think that maybe some of it was was going on. On, but our mental health population, mm-hmm. you know, that has increased tremendously yeah. over the years. 
Stress. And people are stressed people out. People are stressed out. And even though they have these uh, quote unquote rules in place on how you go buy to purchase a gun, there are a lot of loopholes out there. Right. So I, I think that uh, that plays a, a bigger part in it because the American Psychiatric Association says that. People with mental illness, they have found, are the larger number of people committing these crimes. Yeah. So, so you know, it, it's something for us to think about, you know. I know that we are stickler for the Second Amendment, but I just reach out to people and tell them, please talk to your congressmen and see if we can get this revisited. Right. Thanks for calling. Let's face it. How are you? Hello? We're having technical problems with our phone system tonight. Hi, Mr. Anderson? Mr. Anderson? Uh, yeah, C can you hear me? I can hear you now. Welcome to the show. We're having technical okay. difficulties. We have a new system that we're trying to work with, and um, I apologize for that, but thank you for getting through and calling back. How are you? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, very good. That's good. We were just talking about the things that are going on in Orlando. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on to the show to talk about your book that you've written, um, The Babylon Code. Can you just first start with um, tell me exactly what is The Babylon Code about? Uh, the, the Babylon Code is a combination investigative expose, uh, prophetic mystery book. Uh, it, it revolves around a, a, a mystery, prophetic mystery in the Bible surrounding Babylon. Uh, Babylon first emerges, uh, you first see Babylon in the book of Genesis and uh, the Tower of Babel story. Uh, Nimrod is uh, the ruler of this ancient uh, megapolis. He's considered an archetype of the Antichrist. And then uh, Babylon reemerges in the books of the prophets. You might remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and the right. prophet Daniel interpreted his dream. And then finally, in the book of Revelation, you've got mystery Babylon and, and Babylon the Great. It's a, a mystery that's puzzled Bible scholars for centuries. And so this, this book delves into it from a perspective of an investigative journalist and a prophecy expert. Wow. How did you solve the mystery? So, so this uh, this investigation involved, uh, we, we did over 100 different interviews, everybody from Billy Graham and Rabbi Jonathan Kahn to secular experts like Noam Chomsky and professors at Princeton and Oxford, uh, read, read hundreds of books and reviewed uh, t tens of thousands of pages of government and academic documents and news stories, and trying to compile the, the, the most credible, best evidence as to whether the world is now in the run-up to the end times global government, cashless society, and, and universal religion predicted the Bible. And that's all connected to this mystery surrounding Babylon. So w when, when I was introducing you when the show first started, it said that you conducted like hundreds of interviews. To So you, you, you've done your research on this? Yeah, well, we did, did over, over 100 interviews. Wow. And, uh, and so, you know, all, all these faith leaders and prophecy experts, you know, many names that people have heard of, you know, Dr. Tim LaHaye and Joel Rosenberg, or, uh, uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, 
they, 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 there's overwhelming consensus among these faith and prophecy experts that we are in the run-up to the end-time events the Bible predicts. Mm-hmm. But then even more, even more surprising is all these secular experts. I interviewed professors at Princeton and Oxford and Noam Chomsky, and they believe the world is approaching the end of human civilization. Wow. In fact, uh, Oxford, uh, there's institutes created at Oxford, uh, MIT, UC Berkeley, and the one at Oxford puts out an annual report on the top 12 threats facing humanity, and it's things you'd think of like you know nuclear war, or, you know artificial intelligence front amok, or some terrible pandemic. But one of them is uh, a global totalitarian government. So even mm-hmm. even Oxford is concerned about this this direction the, the world is heading. Mm-hmm. So through all this, what did you uncover exactly? So what what this investigation revealed is that the elite, you know, very very powerful sort of behind the scenes kind of forces, are are putting into place a a new globalist kind of system. They're they're bringing the world together, you know, it's this whole idea of, of global citizens and and joining the world together. And of course, the you know the Bible predicts this would happen, but at some point, uh, a figure known as the Antichrist would exploit these you know hopes of for peace and safety in the world and mm. and then all the terrible events of, of revelation would unfold well so so is the trump is the excuse me is the i'm sorry is the is the antichrist supposed to already be here uh you know i mean many people believe that he may be here now uh you know given everything we see happening in the world of course nobody knows for sure the the bible says that you know the antichrist won't be revealed until you know the tribulation actually uh, begins uh, this, this seven-year period that uh, you know Bible scholars believe will uh, you know begin with the first half will be a, a, a time of peace and safety and you know the Antichrist will consolidate his power, but the last half will be this unparalleled mayhem and uh, you know the Bible talks about anywhere from you know two-thirds or more of the world population dying in this last three and a half years of this uh, time period. Oh wow! Oh okay. Who exactly is behind the creation of this global government? How will it impact? Yeah, so there's many different organizations. You know, you probably heard the term of globalist. Uh Uh, You know, so there's, you know, groups from, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations to the Royal Institute of International Affairs. You know, people may have heard of the Bilderberg Group, you know, that they just met and, and, you know, all these world leaders and media titans and business leaders get together for these you know, secret meetings. Uh, and then there's, there's these, you know, secret societies. We talk about that in, in the book, too. You know, like Yale Skull and Bones, you know. You know That's an organization that was at Yale? Person. Yeah, there's a secret society at Yale called Skull and Bones. President Bush was a member of it. Uh-huh. Uh, Secretary of State uh, John Kerry was a, mem- was a member. And, and, you know, our research shows that, you know, many of our, our leaders, you know, come out of Skull and Bones. And, and so the reason you know, skull and bones and bones, maybe they're there in the Illuminati that was right. uh, a secret society that existed back in the, in the late 1900s. So, so there's sort of this, you know, all these secret societies and covert groups and sort of powerful forces, you know, banks and corporations and, and sort of, you know, bringing the world together through international treaties and uh, uh, reducing the sovereignty of nations and, and uh, different, you know, United Nations sustainable development Know, moves and, and things of this nature to sort of bring the world together slowly but without the knowledge of, of most of the people. How, how will this impact people, everyday people? Uh, yeah, so 
the way this can you know impact people is that um, I mean we've already seen you know sort of the economic effects of all this as as the elite sort of consolidate their power and their wealth. You know we've watched the middle class being you know losing much of their influence and and you know this terrible times we've had in the last decade. People you know watching their net worth drop and losing jobs and all kinds of hardship. And uh, and then ultimately you know once you know if, if and once the, the system is put into place, as the Bible predicts, I mean, I mean, it ultimately could cost you know many people their lives, their freedom, uh, you know. So it's a very serious situation, you know. According to what the, you know the Bible tells us, is eventually going to happen. Although, you know, nobody knows for sure when this will take place. But you know, the experts and what we uncovered in the book is that it seems like, you know, we are you know heading towards this at, at this time. Mm. I know that you also mentioned that um, about the cashless society and then the universal religion, and I've seen like trends, especially with the universal religion. Can can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So, uh, you know the the you know the book Revelation talks about you won't be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. Hmm. And uh, over the, over the years, you know, many people have speculated what could this mark of the beast be, but it's you know some kind of you know, economic control, you know, could it be, a, you know, one of these RFID or microchip implants or, you know, like some kind of electronic tattoo or, you know, or some new technology. But we, we certainly, for the first time in history, we have, you know, with the Internet and international banking and, you know, the computerized uh, systems that we have, there's the possibility of having a cashless society and, and you know, in other countries, there's a move towards, you know, you know, moving towards, you know, a cashless uh, uh, system over the next, you know, five, ten years or so. Right. And eventually that'll, that'll come to America. And so once once that's in place, then the Bible says, you know, this diabolical figure could, you know, use that to control people because, you know, you literally could not work or make money or even buy food, you know, without, uh, you know, whatever this, you know, Mark. credit card or mm-hmm. chip or whatever it ultimately be. And then in terms of the universal religion, we, we sort of see that happening today. There's, you know, you have many different religions in the world, but there's a sort of a concerted push to try to join them together because, you know, logically, you know, religion has caused a lot of problems, a lot of, you know, suffering and death and wars. And so there's, you know, it, it seems like on this would be a good thing to try, try to join, you know, the world together and, and bring, you know, bring peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Bible says that, you know, this uh, whoever this figure is that'll ultimately take control uh, will, will, you know, you know, develop some kind of religious system, probably a cult at, at its root, and um, and sort of you know exploit people's uh, naive, you know, naiveness, you know, thinking that all religions are sort of the same, the path mm. lead to heaven, and um, and it use this to control people. So with the, you know, the economic system and religious control, that's how they'll, you know, you know, deceive people into, you know, going along with it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Troy, of course you're going to be faced with people who say this is all just like a conspiracy theory. What do, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I, I think the, this, this term itself, conspiracy theory, we did some research on this, is uh, but there's many different, you know, words and phrases that have been introduced into the public consciousness. Mm-hmm essentially to try to discourage people from, you know, considering this as, as a real possibility. You know, I'm an investigative journalist, and so, you know, I was trained to, you know, you keep on digging. You follow the money, and uh, you try to, you know, ferret out what the real truth and, and evidence is for something. And so when you dig into something of, of this nature, 
um, you know, essentially the, the media, acad- academia, and um, you know, government will, will throw out this word: "Oh, it's just a conspiracy theory. This is all a bunch of you know, sort of kookiness." Uh, but that you know, that is actually a, a sort of a, a, I guess you might call them a mind control or a brainwashing kind of term used to discourage people from thinking, you know, critically about what's really happening. And um, uh, the other thing that uh, I wanted to mention on that in that regard is that, uh, uh, you know, there's in, in the book we talk about you know, many prominent figures throughout history that have talked about, uh, you know, an invisible government or a shadow government. Mm-hmm. You know, President George Washington talked about this, and Abraham Lincoln and Theodore Roosevelt and even Bill Moyers, the famous uh, PBS journalist, has talked about this. And we have many quotes from these, you know, prominent figures talking about what they, you know, believe how things really work in society. And then even um, we cited a, a survey from the University of Chicago that they took an epic. And 51% of Americans say that they believe a so-called secret cabal, you know, actually runs how things work. You know, who, who gets elected, who goes into power, and, and how, you know, largely how governments operate. So rather than just being sort of fringe belief, it's actually a very, you know, pro- prominent belief in America and throughout the world as to, you know, who sort of really runs things from behind the scenes. Hmm. Wow. Well, Mr. Anderson, let me ask you this: What makes the Babylon Code different from other prophecy books that have been that have attempted to tackle this subject, and why is it important that people read your book? Yeah, so you know, th- this is the first book by a, I'm, I'm a Pulitzer Prize nominated uh, journalist, and I've been a you know a reporter for a couple decades. I worked at the Los Angeles Daily News for many years, and I was a, a magazine editor recently, and. Um, you know, so this is the first time that you know a, a award-winning journalist and a prophecy expert. My co-author is Paul McGuire. He used to have a, a nationally syndicated radio show, and he's he's been on the History Channel and Fox News and CNN, and uh, he spent several decades researching this topic. And we we met about six seven years ago, and he encouraged me to you know to, to write a book about this. And um, so this this is the first time where you've got sort of you know this a journalist and a prophecy expert joined together to really investigate what is the evidence that this stuff is is really happening. And so this book sort of brings, you know, all this evidence together uh, embedded within this prophetic mystery or code in the Bible and and reveals this sort of for the first time what's really happening. You know, so people may have heard about, you know, secret societies and Illuminati and, mm-hmm. you know, shadow government and things like this. But this book, you know, provides out all the evidence like it, you know, like you would expect with a, you know, like an investigative series in a newspaper. Well, so in the Babylon Code, you document um, the fact that it is not just faith leaders and Bible prophecy teachers, but professors from some of the most prominent universities, like you were mentioning um, earlier, in the world, such as Oxford, Cambridge, MIT, and the University of California, um, Berkeley, who are warning that the global governance movement um, could result in a world dictatorship, oh my God, or a global totalitarian state. Would you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the one of the guys I interviewed for the uh, the book is, um, works at the Hudson Institute, uh, John Fonte, mm-hmm. and there's actually been several books written about, you know, the global governance movement. And and the sort of push for a, a global state, some some kind of joining of the world together, and so 
So the thing that sort of confuses people is that we still have nation states. We still have America, we have France, we have Germany, we have you know, Great Britain. And, and so people look at the world and they go, you know, this, this seems, you know, seems hard to believe that right. there's this move to bring the world together. But what appears to be happening is this sort of is being done very uh, covertly, you know, mm -hmm. so through international treaties, through, um, you know, changes in international laws, through, you know, different institutions like the United Nations and the World Bank and International Monetary Fund and a whole bunch of, you know, sort of similar kind of groups. The, the legal framework is being put into place to sort of join the world together. So even though, uh, you know, the experts I interviewed said that, well, well you know, most, in almost all certainty, there'll still be nation states. You'll still sort of have this semblance of countries. So, so everybody will still think of themselves as Americans and French and, and such. But the, the, the legal framework, the way everything works, international courts, that kind of thing, uh, will essentially be a global system. And, you know, you've certainly heard, heard of the term globalist. Right. And so, you know, so the expert, you know, John Fonte at the Hudson Institute, you know, he agreed that that's what's happening. And so most people are unaware of what's sort of really going on through the you know, legal frameworks and this kind of thing. And, and um, so, he, he, you know, I interviewed him and he says, yeah, he goes, you know, there's this is going to be the greatest battle of, of the next century is sort of between those who want to maintain the nation state and democratic you know, governments and those who want to create this global society. And um, and so we, we see it unfolding. And currently, there's you know the European Union is sort of a model for this system, but they've actually created ten what they call global unions throughout the world. And so that the plan is, and you can actually go on the websites of different what are called uh, federalist organizations mm -hmm. or, or globalist organizations, and they'll they'll say that they want to join these ten global unions together. Ones in you know North America, ones in European Union, there's one in like Australia and Asia and Africa, and so they have ten of these. And, and then, you know, ironically, the Bible talks about ten kingdoms joining together in the Antichrist, you know, presiding over the, these kings for a period of time, and it all sort of falls apart. So, uh, you know, Bible scholars look at this and they, they, they believe that this is all, you know, sort of coming together without most of the world's knowledge. That's, that's what we, we reveal in the book. Wow. Ahead, yeah. Uh, can you tell us about the documentation you used and the journalistic standards you maintain in writing the Babylon Code? Yeah, so you know, I've been a you know a journalist for 25 years, and I, I use the same standards in, in this investigation as I have in investigative series in the past. You know, we, we tried to literally try to find the most credible people we possibly could, people that are you know believable and uh, known for you know high high degree of credibility and and but not, not not just you know faith leaders and bible prophecy experts but you know secular experts you know, I, I interviewed noam chomsky who's uh you know he's considered uh, they, they call him like the world's most controversial thinker and and he talked about yeah he was you know troy yeah you're right there you know we're, we're in great danger of you know either a nuclear holocaust or extreme climate change gone amok all kinds of different problems and uh and he said that um uh, let me try to find his uh, quote here. He said that um, uh, let me just find this real quick. Okay. Um, he's a, a professor at uh, MIT, and um, you know he said that uh, he, he wrote an article wrote an article called "The End of History: The Short, Strange Era of Human Civilization Would Appear to Be Drawing to a Close." 
we talked about um, how uh, you know we lived lived in the shadow of possible nuclear war since 1945, and, and somehow we've managed to survive all that. Not not because, not because of intelligence, but just sort of because of our luck. Uh, and you know now now we face the threat of a you know possible environmental catastrophe, and uh, you know the world is is marching resolutely toward the possible end of human civilization. And so mm-hmm. the the great question in his mind is, you know. Are we going to, you know, take drastic action to try to prevent this kind of thing from happening? And, um, and uh, you know, his, you know, his interview was was uh, very similar to the report by professors at the University of Maryland and University of Minnesota, and they found that civilization could be headed for an irreversible collapse because of unsustainable resource exploitation and the unequal wealth distribution between the rich and poor, and that's sort of a theme we. That's echoed throughout the book is this extreme wealth uh, uh, distribution going on in society now, where this very small number of extremely wealthy billionaires, you know, have you know sort of co-opted our democratic systems and, and sort of largely taken over, right? And and created a lot of you know, suffering and unemployment and all kinds of problems in the world. Where seems all play out now. Mm-hmm. So, I remember as a little boy, there were always movies about the end of the world, and just as I can remember my grandmother, she always saying, you know, the end days are here, you know, the, the world will soon be over and things like that. And here I am, you know, in my 40s, still hasn't happened yet. But reading your book and hearing this information, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. But um, the overall message of your book still contains tremendous hope for the future. What did you discover in your research that, you know, enabled you to give real hope to your readers? Yeah, so so just like you, you know, I, I first heard about this when I was 11 years old. Uh, uh, the youth pastor led me to the Lord. He, he'd actually trained under Hal Lindsey oh, wow. at at, UC, at a UCLA Bible school, and so I, I you know learned about this when I was very young and took an interest in it, and then sort of largely forgot about it for a long time. And then the last several years was was reintroduced to it. And uh, but th- this is this is one of the main reasons why we wrote this book. We're also going we're working to turn it into a film. We wanted to wake people up to, as to what's really going on because there's so much deception in the world today, and people are, are so deceived. And um, and by by in this hope of like you know educating people and waking people up to what's happening, you know we believe that you know sort of the the, the destiny or the course that the world is now on can be can be you know diverted or changed. Mm-hmm. You know I I interviewed uh, Billy Graham a few years ago. And he told me that that signs of the end of the age are converging for the first time since Jesus made those predictions. And about that about that time, he issued an open letter to America and a deceived people, is the way he phrased it. And he he compared America to uh, ancient Nineveh. And the, the Bible story tells about when God sent the prophet uh, Jonah to Nineveh mm-hmm. to warn them of, of judgment, that the king of, of Nineveh and the people repented. And, and then judgment was averted. Essentially, the you know the prophetic judgment that was coming was essentially postponed. And so Billy Graham said he he believed the same thing could happen again, uh, this time in America. And so he he and many you know religious leaders, uh, faith leaders have, have called on the country and the world to you know to turn back to the Lord. And, and there is biblical precedent, you know, for if, if this happens, you know, that if, if God does have a plan of, of judgment or or we're bringing it upon ourselves that, you know, this can be changed, this can mm-hmm. be stopped. And, and my, my co-author, um, he, he's a minister, 
and uh, he was, was talking to his wife one day a few years ago on 4th of July, and he felt like he had a, a vision, and he said that his whole body felt like it was set on fire, and uh, although I mean, he wasn't injured or anything, but just felt like he was burning, and then uh, he, he had this experience of, of being sort of taken up to this perspective over the earth on maybe like a satellite level, and he saw they saw America, and then he he saw this light, like a like a sun sunset kind of light, sort of slowly illuminating all these people, beginning on the west coast, and then moving across the country. And and you believe what God was showing him is that, uh, you know, if, if people will, will true, you know, Christians especially believers, because it's coming upon us to um, to turn back to God and repent of our sins, because obviously there's a lot of corruption and hypocrisy in the church today right and um and so you know he, he believed god showed him that the, the church first would truly repent and turn back to the lord then you know god would send this final end times revival and, and all these terrible things are you know seem to be you know in the works could be postponed or, or delayed and so that's that's the message of hope that we wanted to convey with this book and, and this film that we're working on to try to wake up the church and wake up the country what's happening right right do you have any estimated date when your film will be out uh the the we're working with a film investment company mm-hmm. and they they believe that i mean the hope is to try to get it out in a year just because oh, you know, we're concerned about the time frame there i don't know if that's possible or not but we're uh we're moving forward and you know we're about to create the film company and then you know, we'll find a screenwriter and begin the whole process of making the film. So, and if that if that's successful, then there's plans for a, a TV a mini series and, and a documentary also. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, Troy, I want to thank you for coming on. How can people um, number one follow you, and then how can they get their hands on the copy of the book? Yeah, so people can follow me on. Uh, I've got an author page on Facebook. It's uh, uh, Troy Anderson Writer. And then I'm on uh, Twitter. It's uh, Troy M. Mitchell, Troy M. Anderson on on Twitter. Uh, websites uh, TroyAnderson.us, and and the book is you know it's available you know Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but pretty much any bookstore or online bookseller. Wonderful. What do you have any closing words? Um, yeah, yeah. So I just like to, you know, uh, you know, thank thank you for inviting me on to the show. You're and, welcome. Sorry for the and, and, for the technical problems. Oh, oh no, that, that's no problem. And you know, for anybody listening, uh, you know, if this is the first time you've heard things like this, uh, you know, maybe sort of uh, stunning. Uh, but uh, I just encourage you to, you know, you know, read read the Bible. Maybe you know, find a Bible believing church to go to, and just you know, try try to learn as much as you can. And and you know, I encourage you to you know get get right with the Lord because we never know, you know, how much time we may have left. Exactly. You know, even if you know. You, like making the car accident or something like that. So it's, you don't you don't want to wait on something like this. Your your eternal, you know, destiny right. uh, is is on the line here. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for um, calling into the show. Um, we will definitely be following you, and thank you again. Thank you. Yeah, th- thank you so much. All right. Have a good evening. That was good. That was good. You thank Trump is the Antichrist. Girl, <laughs> did you hear me say it? I was so I I was like, oh Lord, if so, you think it, you know you're going to say it eventually. Yeah. yeah. I thought about him in several of those cases that he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. You know, and, and like I was saying, I've been seeing movies and 
I remember um, when I was in elementary school, there was a, a movie called The Day After Tomorrow, and it was predicting how Russia and United States was going to get into a, a war, a nuclear war, um, and how we were going to be the ones who really destroyed the world. And I was like, oh, my God. And they gave the date. It was 2000 or something. We passed that date. But I was like, oh, man, it was in the back of my head. So hearing stuff like this um, and then still hearing, you know, that we're, we're, we're living in the last days, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of frightening. It is because, you know, well, when the president became the president, so many people said he was yeah, the Yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing the graphics that people were putting up. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then I had to, I had to agree. You know, I was looking at the like, oh Lord. I remember my mom made the joke. She said, "What do you think he is?" So I was like, "Oh God, I hope not. I hope not. It would be the first black one, but okay." Yeah. Yeah, but um, you know, while we're waiting for our next guest to call in, I have a question. So she's talking about finding your soulmate, and I I particularly chose her because going through, like I said, this past year has been you know something for me emotionally. But do you think that um, everybody has that soulmate out for them? Out there in the world? No. You don't? No. You don't believe in it? Um, I do believe in it, but I don't think everyone has it. Oh, okay. I think that sometimes people are, are with people for a long time, uh-huh. and uh, they learn to get along and learn to respect and love uh-huh. and all of that, but I don't think everybody is with their soulmate. Uh-huh. I really don't. Well, I am hopeful that this, um, our next guest is going to give me some, some, some good hope to look forward to. Well, you got to always have hope. Oh, uh, yeah, I got, I know, but you know, I thought, I, I thought I lost out my soulmate, but you know how to, we're not going to go, Nikki told me not to talk about that no more. Oh, so okay, I'm not going to talk about that. She said, let it go, let it go. That's the song. <laughs> I need to sing that song. Let it go. But, um, I believe in it. I believe that, uh, I don't think, no, I don't believe that there's just one. But I do believe there are people out there that you can become so connected with. I have to go back to my ex. Um, I don't know if it's because it's so long, but there sometimes you know we can complete each other's sentences. Um, sometimes I could call and say, "Are you all right?" And there was something going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that we were just that connected. Yeah. Um, yeah I think a lot of people are connected. Uh-huh. That's the word I'm looking for. Connected. Okay. I think a lot of people are connected, mm-hmm. but I don't think that they are always with their soul soulmate. That's on a deeper level. On a, deep, a much yeah. deeper level. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, when she calls in, you know. Because uh, sometimes people can fake the funk, you know. That's true. And you be saying, ding, oh, ding, you know, ding. That's true. I'm, I'm with my soulmate. They do this, they do that. Uh-huh. But sometimes when people want to. Uh, be in your space and connect with you. They know how to. They know how to fake the phone. You're right. You're right. Wow. So I have a question for you. Sure. So, how do you? T- have you ever been? In t- I'm sure you have because you're a beautiful, classy lady. Every time I see you, well put together. I love you in red. But so, how do you tell somebody that you know you're just not that into them, and you don't want to hurt them? You still want them to be a friend, but you know you just uh, not personally, feeling Personally, I just avoid them and hope they get the hint. <laughs> you avoid them? So you don't return calls? You I don't... don't return your calls. Uh, if I'm in the shopping center and you say, hey, girl, mm-hmm. I pretend I don't hear you. Really? And keep my shopping cart moving. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't uh, waste a lot of time with people. In that perspective, uh, time is just such a precious commodity, and when I don't click with people, I, I really honestly try to avoid them. I don't try to be in their space. 
I try not to connect or, or if I know that uh, we're in some of the same activities, I, I find myself not doing some of the activities because I just don't want to be in your space. But uh, okay. I, I don't know. That's This is a kind of difficult question for me, Will, because uh, when I don't want to be bothered, I don't want to be bothered. You, you, you take me as a woman who, who <laughs> when you don't want to be bothered, you don't want to be bothered. <laughs> I don't know. I just I I find it hard to, well, because I've I've had an opportunity, you know, to meet quite a few people. Not everybody, I guess, because I'm stuck in my ways and I know what I want right now. Yeah. And I can see a lot of people as friends, but a lot of people don't want to want to be labeled as your friend. No. And I don't know because a lot of people don't understand what you're doing. Yeah. And therefore, they don't see the vision that you have. Right. So they see something wrong with you versus something wrong with them. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you be sitting there trying to figure out how can I make them feel better. They ain't worried about trying to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. So I just move it on, keep it moving. <laughs> so you and just you, avoid it. And, and you know what? There are people who, I mean, because all you have to do with me, there are certain key things that you can do or say that I totally, I, I instantly get turned off anyway. So I, those type people I don't have a problem with. But the people who you really like, but you just don't see them that way. Yeah, that's but my you issue. Look at them as people that you've outgrown. They were with you for yeah. a certain part of your journey, and, and now you've gone on, and they just can't tag along on that journey with you. Right. That and that is my that was my next question for you. How do you handle people who you have outgrown? Because I have friends who they haven't done anything wrong. They haven't done anything, but because I I have a goal and I'm a really goal oriented person. Yes, you are, um, and I really admire that about you. Thank you, thank you. But there are certain people who just for no per, no particular reason I've outgrown, yeah. and you know they call you know is there anything I've done? No, it's nothing you do. And I don't want to tell them it's because you're still there. You know you yeah. you're not trying to do anything, but I don't want to tell them that. But um, so you've encountered people that you've just... Uh, yeah, I have uh, several friends uh, since I've been doing what I've been doing mm-hmm. as the health boss that uh, I don't see as much. Uh, uh, you know, occasionally I'll pick up the phone uh, and tell them, you know, you were in my Hi, spirit. Julie. So I thought I would give you a call. And we chit-chat about that for a minute. But I just realized that I'm doing something different, and in many times, in many cases, they're doing something different too. So we're both at s- similar crossroads, but we respect each other enough to go on and do what it is that we have to do, and not really worry about it. So you know, you get to those crossroads, and then there are a few people that you uh, just have to tell, you know. I've moved on. I'm doing a few things differently than you. It's nothing wrong with you. It's really nothing wrong with me, but I'm I'm not doing the same things anymore. And if you are honest with people, most of the time they will tell you the truth, and and the both of you can just kind of move on with no hard feelings or anything. So. No. I don't know. Okay. That that that's my experience with that that kind of thing. Right. Well, I guess I, I'm my whole thing. Now, this is what I've been doing with, like you said. I just don't return the calls. I don't return. We have our guest calling in right oh, now, Miss Judith Costa. Goody goody. Welcome to the to Let's Face It, Miss Judith Costa. How are you? 
good. So happy to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. That's good. That's good. So you're going to help us. I was just talking to my co-host, Miss Brenda Henderson. We call her the health boss. I was talking to her about Soulmates. That's you mm. know one of your platform, one of your many platforms that you talk about. Um, and I was just saying that I do believe that there, um, that, that everyone has a soulmate. Miss um, Brenda had a, a different um, impression about that, different opinion about it. But I want to ask you, you know, what is a soulmate relationship? Yeah, we have more than one. Thank okay. God, it's not too difficult to find them. And a soulmate uh, can be defined uh, in, in so many different ways. Uh, it's a special connection. It's someone that is our eternal partner, mm-hmm. and we have been together in the past. We can be together now. And for sure, we will be together in the future. Someone that uh, has a bond of unconditional love that uh, they share with us. But we are not together with our soulmates uh, to share the love only. It's that kind of person that can help us to learn the lessons that we need to learn, to help us to grow to grow, and, and it's someone that seems to have like the key of our heart to teach us uh, or to help us to grow in, in a special way with love. Hmm. You have a personal story behind, behind that? <laughs> yeah, since I heard about the concept of soulmates, when I was uh, reading the book of Brian Wise, Only Love is Real, he explains uh, there uh, a story of soulmates. It's a very interesting uh, book mm. if, you, if you like the idea of past lives. And uh, I felt that this concept was amazing. I really uh, believe that there is someone special out there for us, for Mm -hmm. each of us, someone that can love us uh, in an unconditional way. Right. And since the moment I read that book, I entered in a quest to demonstrate myself that in that moment I was married, that my husband was my soulmate. But what I discovered through the process is that we had a bond, but it was more what is called a karmic relationship right. and not a soulmate relationship. What's the difference? And, uh, tell me. Well, you said it wasn't a soulmate relationship. It was a karmic a relationship. It's, a, it's an idea of that two individuals meet again in a lifetime to solve whatever problems they had in previous lifetimes. Oh. It's an opportunity that the universe gave us okay. to kind of uh, introduce each other again and to give us the opportunity to heal uh, oh, whatever wow. happens between us, to do the things differently this way, mm-hmm. this time, sorry. And what happens is so intense was my desire to find my soulmate that uh, this soulmate show up into my life through my dreams and through synchronicities. I was uh, meeting this person in the middle of a big city. In that moment, I was living in Barcelona. I'm from Spain. And I, I had to go through the process to understand why this person that was uh, was uh, somewhat important in my life. Uh, he was my boyfriend when I was uh, kind of 17, 18 years old. Right. Why this person show up in my life again? Uh, and again, be, be careful with what you want, what you are trying to manifest, because you can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, I have a question, but I wanted to go back to the soulmate relationship. You had said that uh, it could be a person for a short period of time or a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So, we have, so, is oh, sorry, the, so a lot ahead. of times when we hear people use the word or term soulmate, we're thinking of something romantic. Are you saying that the soulmate can be something different than a romantic relationship? Oh, yes, yes. We have more than one, and we establish the, the different uh, kind of bonds with them. Uh, I like a classification of uh, Michael 
uh, that he wrote a book about uh, what happened with the souls. And he talks about Michael Newton, about what it's called the primary soulmate. Right. Usually this is a romantic relationship, someone that uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a close partner in our life. But we have also relationships with soulmates that are our siblings, our colleagues, uh, a really good friend. Even a pet can be a soulmate. They travel with mm. us through different lifetimes to help us uh, to learn uh, unconditional love. They are masters about uh, this. Oh, okay. Well, how do we attract a soulmate or, or that right relationship? Uh, what I teach in my workshops, how to find your soulmate, is a, is a process that is based on the law of attraction because it's a universal law. And we, we can say that it has three steps. The first one is to know, uh, to desire, to know what kind of soulmate do you really want because you can be married but wanted a really good friend that is your soulmate to show up in your life and to help you and to give companionship and to share. Then how are you going to describe this person? What, how, how do you want to feel when you will be with your soulmate? What kind of relationship are you expecting? How are you going to feel? Uh, how is your relationship going to look like? You have to define all of these things and have an intense desire to be with your soulmate and to keep you the, your desire alive. This Can it be long distance? You, but you have to be specific and clear. Can, can your soulmate, can, can it be distance between the two of you? Uh, yeah, yeah. The second part of my story is after I got divorced, I started the process uh, to manifest my soulmate, and I, I got information that my soulmate was in New York. And for different reasons, I decided to move there, and I found him. We are currently married. Uh, we met in New York. We got married there, and now we are living in Miami. It's not normal that you have to cross to the other part of the world to meet your soulmate. Uh, again, there was important reasons for me to move to the U.S. and to start doing this, this kind of work, helping others to, to find uh, their soulmates and, and loving themselves. But uh, it can be, but you will be guided through the process. What you have to focus is on the what, what do you want, what kind of soulmate, and the universe will take care of the how and when. How is the encounter going to happen? Hmm. And the way it's going to happen. It doesn't matter if it's in a party or a wedding, but it will happen hmm. at the right moment. That's exactly for you. But let me finish with the steps very briefly. The second one will be to really believe that this can happen to you, that your soulmate exists, that, that you can be together. Mm -hmm. Really uh, believe that you deserve to be loved this way. And the third one will be to accept that it's already happening. You are already manifesting in a different realm, the encounter with your soulmate. And you have to start living as if your soulmate is with you. Oh, wow. But all of these, all of these three ste steps uh, are not going to work unless you prepare yourself for the arrival of your soulmate. And this means to let go of all the pain and disappointments that you have uh, had in past relationships, to forgive whoever hurt you in the past, to work on any block or limiting belief that you can have that's conscious or unconscious that it's sabotaging your process of manifestation and the most important thing to be sure that you love yourself the way you want your soulmate to love you hmm. so are, are those the things that are holding us back from finding love you're saying yeah these are the major blocks in general <clears throat> if you are uh, uh, usually what you manifest is another person that is not over with uh, his or her past relationships and hates uh, the ex, mm -hmm. 
when you don't love yourself, it's very difficult that you recognize this unconditional love coming from others. And the same happens. Sometimes we, we have fear of uh, of abandonment, or, or you think that uh, love doesn't last. Yeah. And unless we heal that, we continue repeating the pattern, and we are not even aware that we are doing that. Exactly. A lot of people come to me because they have figured out that something is happening that is not allowing them to be or to find the right relationship for them, and they feel that it's something that is already happening inside of themselves. Mm-hmm. Then through a process of discovery, not judging ourselves, just a loving process, we can figure out what are these blocks. In each case, it can be a different case. Right. In each person, a different process. Wow. Well, Judith, let me ask you, what is self-love, and why do we need to love ourselves to establish a healthy relationship? Uh, it's very important. Self-love is a big concept. It's, it's not self-esteem or, or just uh, take care of your body or self-care. A lot of people are confused about that. It's to stand up for yourself. It's to be your best friend. It's to take care of your f- of yourself, but all, mind, body, spirit, everything. It's to forgive yourself. It's to stop criticizing yourself and to empower yourself. It's to be honest with yourself. Hmm. It's a lot of things that together uh, make us feel that we can live a happy life. Because self-love and joy, what we call inner joy, real happiness, are totally connected. When you learn how to be there for yourself no matter what, mm-hmm. to be your best friend, your life change 360 degrees. And you attract different kinds of, kind of relationships. Because for me, a relationship is when two individuals that already love themselves are able to share this love with another person. Wow. That's deep. That's really deep. Okay. So for myself, is it possible for myself and other people, you know, to be repeating pretty much the same patterns in a relationship and we just don't know how to break it? Yeah, totally. Imagine that uh, my parents divorced and and my father abandoned me. And then I have a partner. uh, Or I'm married. My, My husband also left me for my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I think that I have healed that, but I always attract people that are not ready for relationship or they don't want to commit. Or they abandon me or I finish their relationship. Then what happens is that there are events in our life that trigger these things that are not solved or healed in ourselves. Then we kind of react in the same way again and again. And what happens is you can see the patterns just by observing what is going on in your life. Mm -hmm. You can make it conscious, analyzing, for example, what were the things that you were complaining in your past relationships? Some people say, oh, uh, she wasn't paying attention to me, or he didn't love me. Then if you ask yourself, when you were in that relationship, if you really were paying attention to yourself, if you really were loving yourself, mm-hmm. you will realize that maybe no. And sometimes we ask others, we don't see, but we ask others what we are not giving to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Wow. Or we enter in relationships where we try to save the other person. And not ourselves. Exactly. And we abandon ourselves in a relationship. There are so many different ways of, of doing that. 
But this is a very good exercise, just to look at your complaints in your past relationships, and you will figure out some of the things that are happening. Hmm. Wow. Why are we attracting unavailable partners or those who are not ready for a commitment? Because very deep inside of ourselves, even if it's at the conscious level, we say that we want a partner, we date, we register in, in the workshop of how to find your soulmate, but very, very deep, we are also not ready for commitment. We are still afraid. We feel that love hurts, or we are uh, afraid that love doesn't last. Mm-hmm. And what, what happens is that nobody is judging us. The universe is not there to punish us and to send us another partner that is not, commit, not wanting to commit with us. The universe just sent us the people and the experiences that matches with our beliefs or with our vibration, with our energy. Then it's important to realize what is behind this uh, continuous series of people that are not ready for commitment. Mm. Let me tell you a short example. Mm-hmm. Uh, if When my mother is dying from cancer and I'm 16, I promised her to take care of my father. And in this important moment, I make this promise that it's so, so deep and so important for me. Then when I start establishing relationships, I don't have any problem dating. And I have happy relationships. But there is a moment. There is a moment when these people, any of them propose or we want to go and start a life together. I have forgotten this promise that I made to my mother when she was dying. Mm-hmm. And I feel that I'm betraying her and the promise that I make to her if I start a new life with my partner and I abandon my father. Then things like this, vows, promises, agreements that we have with ourselves, in some cases, we have suffered so much going through the world of relationships that we have made an agreement with ourselves saying that I'm going to close my heart and I'm not going to allow anyone mm-hmm. to hurt me again. Hmm. And this promise is there. This agreement is still working because we haven't renegotiated. And our heart is closed and not ready, not ready to love. And again, at the conscious level, we date, we go to a matchmaker, or we right. work one-on-one with a coach. Mm-hmm. Well, but really deep inside of ourselves, we are afraid to love. Okay. We are afraid of being hurt. So I, I was hearing you talk before. So one of the issues for me that I, I can already feel would be an issue is, you know, how do you forget the past? The past. And how do you forgive those that have hurt you in past relationships so that you'll be ready to receive this? this? There, are, there are different techniques. But the most important thing to understand is that we don't forgive because we are good people. We don't forgive because nothing happened, really, mm-hmm. or because we have f- forgotten the facts. We forgive because forgiveness sets us free. Mm-hmm. What we want is to be able to move forward, to understand that this is part of our past, but your past cannot be controlling your future and your opportunity to share the love that you have inside of yourself. Then the most important is the commitment with yourself to be willing to forgive. Nothing has to happen or, or to come from the other side. The person doesn't have to come and apologize or, or, or tell you something to change the situation. Mm-hmm. It's your decision. 
you can sit still in your house and make a list of everyone that you need to forgive and put what happened and the reason why and decide to forgive. Hmm. You can even write it in a paper and then put it in fire and release it to the universe. There are so many techniques to help you, processes. I work with the Akashic Records, mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's, a, it's like to open the book of your soul, and we use a forgiveness prayer. It's one of the things that it's difficult for people, especially to forgive ourselves, not, not only others. There is the Hoponopono, that is a Hawaiian technique, and I can continue listing them. Mm-hmm. But for the people that come to my worship, what I tell them is just make the decision. Make yourself ready and forgive. Wow. Wow. Uh, what are the tools and techniques that we should be using to find our soulmate? We can work uh, in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, one will be through meditation or visualization. I said that you have to keep the desire alive. Then visualizing yourself with your soulmate, doing what you will do together in a normal day or walking uh, in the beach or in a park or having a relationship, a uh, romantic uh, encounter, it's one of the ways. And it's very helpful helpful to uh, savor the waiting and, and keep your desire alive. But you can work with your dreams. You can meet your soulmate in your dreams before you even meet in, in, in real life. Right. Because in dreams we enter in this realm where there is no space and no time while you are manifesting. You can first meet in your dreams. And you will do that by uh, start, if you don't remember, remember your dreams, just putting a notebook and a pen. And, and, and ask, ask consciously that you want to remember your dreams. Mm-hmm. And then write in a paper, I want to dream with my soulmate. I want to create this re-encounter, because you already know each other, with my soulmate. And I want to remember it. Wow. And it works. I can promise that it works. You so can use affirmations. You can you can uh, work uh, in in different ways with someone like mm, with me in in solving anything that is holding you back. But the most important will be your desire, your burning desire of finding your soulmate. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm looking through your website now, and I'm seeing about the workshop. So when when people attend your workshops, what are some things that you teach or that, that they can walk around some walk away with? We have a workshop uh, coming now in New York on, on Finding Your Soulmate on the 26th of June, and it's a whole day. It's from 10 in the morning until 6, and it seems a lot of hours, but one of the complaints is that time passes so fast. <laughs> I can imagine, <laughs> because, <Yeah. laughs> because what we do during the morning is to study what is exactly a soulmate relationship and to differentiate from this karmic relationship because there are people that say, I thought I found my soulmate, but then the relationship didn't work out. Right, right. And, and again, uh, the connection makes it special, but you have to work in the relationship. If, if you don't care about your partner, even if it's your soulmate, you can finish uh, ending the relationship. Then we go through all this process of preparing yourself, mm-hmm. what you said, how to complete the path how to let go of what happened, all the pain that you may carry, all the disappointment, how to be sure that you are loving yourself, what is, what is exactly what you can do. We do meditations and visualizations, and we work on ourselves. We do different exercises to be sure, for example, this list, to be sure that you are ready to forgive. Mm-hmm. And to who? Who are you going to put in this list? 
Right. And when we go through all this process of preparing yourself, then what we do is to go step by step, understanding what does it mean to attract your soulmate, mm -hmm. how to manifest, and what does it mean to desire, to accept, and to believe that it can happen to you with uh, several examples. And then we go deep, deep into the tools that you can use. Mm -hmm. This is more or less the process, and, and, and it works really well. And again, I cannot give you the fish. I cannot give you your soulmate, but I can teach you how to fish. Exactly. When you finish the workshop, you are ready to start applying the all have you learned on your own. Mm -hmm. You don't need anything else. So I'm seeing on your website as well that you um, also specialize with past life regression therapy. What is that? Yeah, I put all these other tools together in order to help people to find their soulmates because a past life regression, it's something that uh, we can do through a process of relaxation to have access to our past life memories. Then, for example, I can regress to people at the same time uh, or, or chat them and, and ask them if they can go to the moment where they met their soulmate for the first time. Mm -hmm. Then it's not that you have to believe on the therapist you are experiencing this encounter mm -hmm. on your own. You are seeing and feeling your move to that moment in time where the events between you happened. Then it's a way also to heal relationships. Some of the problems that we have in this lifetime are not based in things that we have experienced right now, mm -hmm. are based on things that happened in a past life. Right. And by going in that, coming back to that moment in time, we can kind of solve the problem, release the energy that is stuck, that is stuck mm -hmm. and solve whatever you, are, you need to. Then we don't travel through lifetimes just uh, as a pastime. The idea is to connect the events that are affecting your life now with the events that happened in a past life. Right. Okay. So here's another area that I, I've never even heard of this is the, what is it, the Akashic? The Akashic record? Records. Yeah. That's it's, totally new to me. Imagine that there is a virtual library out there uh -huh. where the book of the soul of all of us is, is there in a shelf. Then with your permission, we can go take, pick up the book and open it. Then it's a session that it's based totally on your questions. Mm -hmm. You can ask whatever you want to the masters and the teachers of the Akashic Records that control the information. With a sacred prayer, we can open this kind of book. And uh, it's not only about the information that you receive. We can do healing during the session. We can let go of patterns of thought or behavior, uh, something that it's holding us back, that it's in our emotional body. We can let go of things that we carry from our ancestors, they are so, so powerful that we can even work on healing things that we carry in our DNA. They work mm. at subcellular level. Also, as I said before, we can do forgiveness work. It's a very interesting session because imagine that you have an oracle open for you and you can ask whatever you want. Right. Wow. And you will get an answer, an answer that is going to give to you with love. And it's not only about that. It's a shift in consciousness that happened after the session. It's not only the information that you receive. It's what, what change that makes you feel uh, different, with different energy. Mm -hmm. Wow. How oh. can uh, people follow you? They can uh, find all this information on my website. That is www.judithmcosta.com. Judith is J-U-D-I-T-H. 
M as a Mary Costa, C-O-S-T-A. Or they can send me an email if they want information. It's Judith M. Costa at Holmate.com. I'm also in Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and all the social media, uh, Instagram and YouTube. <laughs> okay, you've got yes. them all. Yes. Well, yes. we would really like to take this opportunity to thank you for coming on with yes. us this evening. Uh, it was a real eye-opener because um, sometimes we hear a phrase and we think we know what it means, but after listening to your explanation, I have a whole total view of what a, what a soulmate is. Exactly. So uh, that is really, uh, we. I, I learned something, so I'm sure the listeners learned something. Thank you. The pleasure has been mine. Thank I you. I love to share this. I'm passionate about what I do, and I hope you can feel. Yes, Yes, we could. Yeah. We really could. Again, thank you so much for coming on with us. Sus. Thank, you. thank you. Sending you lots of love to thank you and to everybody. You as well. You as well. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. 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 So a soulmate can be a friend. It can be a friend. It could be my animal. It could be, be my pe- my it, puppy, my yeah, dog. It could be a coworker. It Who would be. have thought of that? Yeah, and because you know what, I've heard somebody say that like a friend is a soulmate, and I was like, she don't even know what a soulmate is. But I see, I didn't know what a soulmate. Was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what a soulmate and was. And you know, when I hear it all the time, even on uh, with these talk shows and things, yeah. they relate it so much to romance. Romance, right? That mm-hmm. uh, when she was talking, I was like, "Oh God, I, I'm on the wrong track yeah, here. Yeah, I need to get on another track." Exactly, exactly. Well, so has that changed your impression? You still, you know, are you still using the word connection? Um, I'm gonna still use it, and I'm gonna tell you why. Okay. Because when she was explaining how um, the soulmate is someone that takes you through one part of your journey mm-hmm. to another and it can, it can be temporary as well as long term right then you're connected during that time. oh that's true so you can have multiple yeah so she said to get you, you from point a to point b yeah. that's that's who you needed during that time yeah and that's a good way to look at my situation too oh that's good yeah. but you I know you've got something. to re- you've got to release i gotta release and it let it go Girl. when she kept saying that i was giving you the yeah. eye and i was so tense <laughs> i was like ah uh, okay. Yeah, okay. So you gotta let it go. You're right. You're right. Well, you know what? Start anew. Start anew. I will. I will try. But you know, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and then we're gonna come up. We're gonna wrap up with a few topics I want to ask you because you know I've seen you a lot. Of course, we have the same publicist, um, but it was always been in a, in a business setting. So I want to ask you a question that was asked to me um, two nights ago, oh, and okay. I want to see what your response. So stay tuned. You're listening to Let's Face It. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Let's Face It with Bill Strayhorn and Friend. We'll be right back. I am a mother. I am an entrepreneur. I am a singer. I am an artist. I'm a journalist. A businesswoman. An educator. A sister. A grandmother. An advocate. A leader. I am a friend. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am one of more than a million people living with HIV in the U.S. We are not alone. Let's stop HIV together. Get the facts. Get tested. Get involved. Go to www.actagainstaids.org for more information. There's always a moment of truth where I say, look, it's either put up or shut up. And it was time to put up. I had crossed that thin line. It was 100 plus degrees. We were hot. We were on fire. We were yelling our hearts out. You could feel the intensity rising. Even in our tiredness, even in our weakness, even in our pain, we continue to push. 
I told myself, you can suck up the pain for another mile and a half, and you will be a Marine. Not many people believe that I could do it. I don't know where I got the energy from. I don't know where the pain went to. But all I know is that I had what it took. I am a United States Marine. DFC Daryl Willis serves his country as a Marine. Will you? Visit Marines.com or call 1-800-MARINES. The few, the proud, the Marines. It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. There's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. God has put something in your path. You're now listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Uh, so, so, Brenda, before the break, I was telling you that, you know, I was at a, not an event, but it was a, it was a cookout. Um, and someone had asked a question, which was an interesting question. That was like, you know, with everything that everyone has going on, there was a couple of people in my friends, my, my group, who were graduating. A couple of people just had babies. They were like, you know, everything, everybody's so busy. Everybody's busy. And we, we, it was surprising that so many of us had got together um, and found the time or made the time to, ha- to, to do the cookout because it's hard to get us together because we're so busy. But when you're like 90 years old and beyond, looking back over your life, you know, what's going to matter the most to you? So I want to ask you that question. Well, well, I just hope that if I live that long and be like Betty White, yeah. <laughs> right? Current <laughs> um, Chorus Leachman. Yeah, that I don't have any regrets. I hope that when I reach that point in my life, I've treated everybody good. I've been the best person that I could be. I've right. touched uh, a lot of lives, positively, not negatively. Mm-hmm. And that I don't have any regrets at that time. And, and and that's how I basically live my life now. I try to treat everybody as best I can. Right. As best as you would allow me to. Because mm-hmm. some people just won't allow you to right. be nice to exactly. them. Exactly. No matter how hard you try. Yeah. And, you know, recently I've been to so many funerals. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that are close, people that aren't so close. And you just realize life is precious. Right. Life is kind, right? And you just try to be the best person that you can be, right? I think looking back, my answer, um, and it was it was almost a tearjerker to me because I realized, you know, I'm a pro. I tell my age, I'm 45 now, and I remember there are certain things that I'm still pushing towards now that when I was like 35. I was still seeing I wanted to do, and looking back, I'm holding myself back. Well, you're not you're not the only one. I'm older than you. Mm. I am 64 years old. Amazing, beautiful. And uh, in the last couple of years, I've been doing this journalistic thing. Right. Uh, when I was younger, um, I didn't go to college when all my friends went to mm-hmm. college because back during that time, it was when grants and things first came about. Right. And I couldn't get no money because they said my daddy made too much money, and uh-huh. they still ain't told me how much <laughs> money is too much money. But um, <laughs> I went on to, uh, I put myself through college for two years, uh-huh. and uh, my major was journalism. Okay. Oh. And um, I always wanted to write, and uh, believe it or not, uh, one of my teachers talked me out of 
uh, continuing that because that was when the war in um, the Cold War right. things uh-huh. first started. <laughs> and he told us, um, he said, you know, if you're good at this thing and you go and work for a paper or something, they'll send you over there and you're on the front lines. And I thought, I ain't going to write no <laughs> story front, yeah. on no front lines. Uh-huh. But um, years passed, life passed. I did a, a lot of things. I could go back through all the things that I've done. Uh-huh. But uh, I, as I tell people, this thing about the writing and the, the journalistic stuff that I do, right. I didn't seek it. It sought me. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first was excited about doing the radio show, I shared it with some people in my circle at that time. Right. And they told me, oh, I don't know why you want to do that mm-hmm. at your age. That's something you should have done when you were in your 20s or 30s. Uh-huh. And it set me back for a minute. I was like, you know, maybe they might be right. Oh, man. You know, maybe I should be doing things that people in my age are supposed to do. Uh-huh. And then I just shook it off and I said, no, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this thing. Mm-hmm. And it was, I guess, sometime last summer, I listened to Steve Harvey's show every morning. And he was going over some of his motivational stuff. He had been out on the road and stuff. Right. And someone else had approached him about being in their 60s and some of the things they desired to do. And mm-hmm. people were telling them they were too old to do it. And, and he stopped and he said, you're never too old to do anything because God has an appointed time for you to do everything. Bam. And I thought, okay, yes. God, I'm doing what you want me yes, to do. Yes. So, okay, so we have two things in common. I didn't know that you had studied journalism. I'm in ODU. I graduate in May with um, for broadcast journalism. Um, and then Steve Harvey, he has helped me tremendously. Um, I read his book, Think Like a Success, Act Like a Success, and I always endorse that book because um, his first career um, has been amazing. And a lot of it didn't come until he was in his second half of his life. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, you know, uh, I heard Oprah say something one time. She said, you get get what you want when God knows that you can handle it. That you can handle it. And when I was in my 20s or whatever, maybe it just wasn't the time. So so I don't have any regrets about it. Yeah. So And so when I'm 90 years looking back, I want to make sure I have no regrets like you. But I want to make sure that I reach my potential. I didn't allow myself to hold me back. Because I know it's like almost monthly god revealed something new i didn't know that i was good with graphics i've never studied graphics i've just always been a really artsy person Mm -hmm. but now nikki's helping me um promote my graphics business um i didn't even know about the radio station or the radio show that we both of us have um until she told me that you know clark my first start was with srn network Mm -hmm. um so he's in this second half of my life just revealing things to me now and i just want to make sure that i use everything um, that he's given me and that, you know, when I stand before him, that I've used all the gifts that he's given me. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I say. Um, the writing, the talk show, working on a TV something. Yeah. All of that stuff, you know, um, it's my time. When are you going to have your talk show, your TV show? I don't know. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, this has not been the best year for me. Uh, personally, uh-huh. I, I've, I just realized that uh, at one point that I was depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, young lady uh, that was very close to my family, she was like a daughter to me, was murdered oh, wow. last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes we we go about our lives and we say that we can't be controlled or anything or this can't bother us. But it wasn't until a few months ago that I realized I was depressed. Yeah. 
because I wasn't writing. I mm-hmm. wasn't doing exactly. anything. Exactly. I just couldn't get out the bed mm-hmm. in the morning. I didn't go to the gym. I didn't do anything. And I realized I'm depressed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, life takes its courses, but whatever God has out there for me, I'm going to continue on. That's good. That's good. Well, I want to thank you for coming and co-hosting, sitting at the chat with me. me. You're welcome. Hope you come back. So share with us again how they can tune in and what time they can tune into your show and how they can follow you. Uh, They can follow me on all the social media. You know we got the same publicist, so I'm on all of them. Do I need to name (laughs) them? Yes. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh-huh. uh, LinkedIn. Right. Did I leave anything out? Uh, I think I got all the social medias. Uh, they can also follow me at www.brendalhenderson.com. Okay, um, okay. And if they want to send me a email, they can simply send that to healthbossbrenda at gmail.com. And if they want to call me, I'm up every night until the Golden Girls go on. Are you serious? I love it. Oh, so we got three things. So they can call Hallmark me. Channel, yes. Yeah, 757-207-9607. Uh-huh. Uh, the radio show is with uh, Survival Radio Network. It yes. airs every Friday from 8 a.m. to 9. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Proud thank you. To know it's you always know- a blast. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I want to make sure that everyone knows that coming up this Monday – um, at 7 p.m. at the Central Library in Virginia Beach is the fourth annual NAACP Black Men Rock Image Awards. I'm up for three awards this year. Hopefully you'll come out and support us. Tickets are $15. It's a scholarship fund, so the funds are being provided to, to uh, a, a deserving young man who is um, trying to further his education and just in need of the funds. So if you can come out, I would love to see you there in support of, I believe it's probably like 40 black men who are being honored this oh, year. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, this year. So thank you. Make sure that you tune in next week. We have an awesome show as always. And until then, be blessed. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. While the world whizzes by, 
Enjoy a moment of me time with Tim Horton's new $6 breakfast bundle. Savor a small hot or iced coffee. Then add your choice of a mouth-watering hot breakfast sandwich and a crispy golden hash brown and your pick of a classic donut. All for six bucks, all just for you. Make your mornings all about me time with our $6 breakfast bundle. Available at your neighborhood Tim Hortons. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.